If you will, turn with me to the Gospel according to John, chapter 5. The Gospel according to John. And we're going to look at a story in the life of Jesus found in chapter 5. And we're going to read down uh, a few verses here to 18. So join with me. There should be a copy of Scripture on your your row there. Pull it out of the, the basket and you can follow along. We're reading from the English Standard Version. And uh, let's tell you what, you want to try something different, since we're we're doing a bunch of stuff different today, okay, so (laughs) it's a lot of stuff different. Um, In Haiti, one of the things to do at church is if you agree with something, you don't just say amen, but you kind of do your hand like this. It's like waving, you know, it's a wave offering, right? So like the Bible talks about a wave offering. I think the last time we did a wave offering together as a congregation was actually when we left Gooch Place. Remember I told us we're going to blow the horns, the trumpets, and we're going to give a wave to, to that place, you know? Good riddance. No, no, no. It, it, was, it was good. It was good. It was good. But, uh, but we want to give a wave. So let's, let's see if everybody can do that. Can everybody do just kind of, this is what they do, okay? And some, I mean, you want to get really crazy, do this, okay? I mean, you may think, oh, that's a little weird, but they think that us just sitting there is a little weird, you know? They're like, are you alive? You know, so, so let's, um, let's practice a little bit of uh, the Haitian church today. And if you agree with something, just be like, amen, all right? Even, even in the, the response later, you can, you can do that, all right? So let's, uh, you should be there now, John 5. Notice these words here from Scripture. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, you always had to go up to Jerusalem because it was, it was a high place, right? It was on a mountain. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which was five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. 
And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for this reading of Scripture that has come to us this morning. Bless it now and bless our response to what you have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice that Jesus followed a liturgical calendar, which is just a sort of a fancy way of saying a religious calendar that is set in place with certain feast days and certain fast days. And of course, we at this church, we follow the church's liturgical calendar based on the lectionary. And if you want to look those things up or talk to me about that later, we can do that. Now's not the time, but I want you to understand that this has been passed down to us and is a part of the tradition of Scripture is to orient our year, not based on a secular calendar or an empire's calendar or what have you, but rather upon holy days marked for certain celebrations. And that's why certain times there will be feasting and certain times there will be fasting. Here, Jesus appears at one of the three festivals that would have been observed by all male Jews. You had to go to Jerusalem for these three uh, particular festivals. They were, the first one was the festival of Passover or unleavened bread. The second was the festival of Pentecost. Or it was also called the festival of harvest or the festival of weeks. And then the third was the festival of shelters. And this were if you, if you remember, this represented the time where they were actually living in tents, right? So, so at a particular time in the year, they would actually move to their backyard and set up a tent outside of their house and live in it to remind themselves that they actually lived in a tent at one time as the children of God. And so we, coming up on Valentine's Day, no other, we're going to start fasting together. 40 days that represent and remind us of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and how he overcame temptation. And part of that was through fasting. We shouldn't just always feast in our lives. There should be times of fasting. There should be rhythms that are marked in our lives as Christians that we carry our children through, that are used as teaching points, which is why we have, and some of you now can see on Facebook Live rather than just here, that we have these symbols, these colors, and they all mean something. We don't just throw them out because we thought that was a great color coordination. These colors represent and point to something that's greater than themselves. It's a beautiful thing. And here Jesus is observing one of, these, one of these festivals, one of these holy days, holy seasons, and he notices a man among many people who is in a very bad situation. Now, if you think about it, the movements of our life, just as I'm saying, there are times of feasting and times of fasting, 
Even salvation has come to us with this up-down movement. So Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, right? And in the Psalms, you'll find certain Psalms of Ascent, which were actually meant to be sung as you were ascending the hill to Jerusalem. Kind of like we have Christmas songs or we have Easter songs. So too, these were songs of ascent. And it shows to us that God has to come down to save us. That's what we just recited in the Creed, wasn't it? All the way down. But he doesn't leave us there, does he? He doesn't just join us in the down. He doesn't join us in hell on earth. But instead, he takes what is down and moves it up to heaven. Then, that's not the end either. He sends the Spirit. This is basic Christian theology as seen in our creed. And he sends the Spirit where? Down. The Spirit what? Descends upon the church at Pentecost. Another festival. And then, what does the Spirit do? Brings us to God. The Spirit and the Bride say, come Lord Jesus. That's the way the Bible ends. If you've ever, yeah, if you've ever read the, uh, read the end, huh? that's be waving right there. If you've ever read the end of the story, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Bride, the church, say, come Lord Jesus and rescue us. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to come down. So you see this down and up motif all throughout the scriptures, and it should be in our lives as well. And I say that because we find that same pattern of up, down, up, down, up, down in our story today. Notice this. He's, th- this, this man, this, uh, we believe he was just simply lame, so he can't walk. He's at this sheep gate, a pool called Bethesda. Now, one of my professors just told me a couple weeks back that he actually went and saw this in Jerusalem. And he was standing right there where this event took place. Because again, the events of the Bible are not in some mythological category, but rather they are in the time-space continuum that we all live in. It actually happened at a particular pool, which is why John names the pool and gives it its Aramaic name. Because he understood it was a particular place at a particular time with a particular person involved. And so here... At this pool, this holy pool, where you're supposed to be able to receive healing, all of these people are lying around trying to wait for healing. Now, in Haiti, I just got back, for those of you who don't know, I was, I was there just for a week, and I went to a voodoo ritual. At this voodoo ritual, they have a pool, and this is a, this is a healing pool. Except you're healed by a demon, a spirit. Uh, now, I didn't get in the pool, and I pretty much prayed the whole time that the spirit would reign. Everybody's very interested in, in dark side and this sort of thing. I'm not even going to tell you the, the spirit, that particular spirit's name because it probably represents a real demon behind the scenes that is defeated. That is defeated by the Holy Spirit. But this pool, this pool may have been a very similar place to what I visited there. Now, if you notice in your Bible, I know everybody that's a good evangelical theologian out there and scholar will say the Bible has no errors, and this is true. But notice that verse 4 is completely missing from your translation. You may catch that? It jumps from 3 to 5. Now, in your notes, 
you don't have to read it right now, but in your footnotes, it'll have an asterisk and say, hey, in the earliest manuscripts, there was an explanatory note that made it into the King James Version, right? Which is in, you know, one of the most popular versions there is, uh, because they weren't using the oldest manuscripts that we now have, all right? So we have thousands and thousands of manuscripts. I don't want to go into a biblical theology here of manuscripting and whatnot, but I could, but I'm not. And so I'm just going to say the Bible you can trust because there are correctives that even something that was just simply explanatory, we know now through the manuscript evidence that it wasn't supposed to be there. Now, does it add to theology of God? No. Does it even help? Not really. But apparently, the explanatory note will tell you that an angel would come and touch the water and the water would ripple, right? And then you had to make it in. Whoever was first in would be healed. Now, whether we don't know if that was true or not, whether it was a fable or not, but this is what they were waiting for. But something else happens, doesn't it? Somebody else shows up that's not an angel, but flesh and blood. A man shows up and simply asks a question. Now, we've seen in places like Haiti, in places like Mexico, that the church makes an initial you know, headway, so to speak, like the Catholic Church. Then they withdraw and everybody becomes syncretistic. All right, now, what that means is they mix Christianity with their local religion. Now, that's what, exactly what's happening at this voodoo ritual, by the way, and probably is what is happening here. It's not biblical that there's some magic pool. You follow me? Which is why the explanatory note can be there or it cannot be there. It doesn't help with the story because guess where the healing comes from? Not a magical pool. But Christ. <laughs> see, people, see, we used to just be on audio. Now we're on, you know, so we, you actually see us. <laughs> You're like, I don't know if... Is that a good thing? <laughs> it's over your heads, okay? I don't mean the, the technology, but I just simply mean it's pointing toward me, okay? Um, <laughs> so, it's not in the water, even though, this is the kind of stuff I love, okay? Even though water, is it not in the Bible? It's a symbol of cleansing, a symbol of healing. But that's the point of the Bible, is there's nothing healing about H2O. It's who made the H2O. It's who you're obeying when you're baptized into the H2O that he made, the water that he made. It's the cleansing that comes in the heart, not just on the outside. Or else every shower we took every morning would make us cleaner in here. And it doesn't. But he can. God can. And that's something to, uh, to wave about, right? To rave about and to share with others. Now, notice this. Just take notice here uh, in verse 3. You have these, as it says here in the ESV, which is, which is a good translation. It's, it's probably not politically correct to call these people invalids. You might get in trouble with, with doing that. Um, but it's saying 
they were not able to perform certain things that others could perform. It was invalid for them. Physically speaking, they were blind, they were lame, they were paralyzed. And you can imagine, this is not a happening place. It's not a happy place. And here we find this one person that Jesus notices. He says, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now look, I'm, I'm 36 years old, alright? I'm two years off of this man's entire life paralyzed. 38 years is a long time to deal with something. And after a while, you know how this is in your life. You deal with some problem or some kind of ill, but then it just becomes a part. You wake up every day and you expect it. And you expect, in the end, nothing to change ever. I mean, after all, 38 years have gone by and nothing has changed. We get used to it. We expect it to be that way the next day, leading us ultimately to a place of no hope. Now, he's lying. I want to remember that up-down motif. He's lying down. And Jesus comes into play here. Now, this term invalid, I think we can apply it to our lives by saying those who want something, need something in their life, but and keep asking for it, maybe even from God, but it's not happening. Have you ever felt invalid in your life? In particular, notice, notice the, the response he gives. Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? And notice he gives two excuses of why he can't be healed. It's not just a simple yes. And even Jesus' question, I mean, I thought Jesus knew everything. Why would he, I mean, does he need to be healed? I mean, this is a, this is a place where these kind of people are. And the guy obviously is lying down. Surely he knows he needs... Why, why would you ask, the, do you want to be healed? But some of us, including possibly this man have gotten so comfortable in our ways that even though it's not ideal, it's what we want. It's what we know. It's what our default position is. And we continually turn to it and feel comfortable there. After 38 years, that's easy to do. We know it well. We don't know what's on the other side of our healing. We don't know what it's going to open up. What does this mean now? If he was being supported by the government, or more likely, by a family. What does that look like now that I have to get a job? That I won't be able to be here, a place that I know, and a routine that I'm used to. You say, that sounds a little weird to me. I mean, it just... Do it. Get it. No, it really isn't. In prison, they've told me when I was there, so it's not just a statistic I've read, but I've heard it myself, 
And that is, I don't want to leave. I'm scared. I don't know how to live out there. Last time I tried to live out there, I almost died. That drug took me all the way to the gates of hell. If I go back out there, I'm scared. I'm going to go right back. A guy that was my age when I was in there last time, he looked directly at me and he said, prison is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Let us not be like the Jews, the Israelites of old, who once being delivered from Egyptian slavery longed in the desert to return. Because it's what they knew. God was giving them manna from heaven, food from heaven. And they complained because they didn't have onions and cucumbers like they did in Egypt. And they would have gladly traded in that moment food for slavery. Don't we do the same? There are some things in our life that we've lived with for a long time. We've given up hope. We don't believe we'll ever change. Every year rolls around and the resolution is the same. And the result is the same. Let me tell you, there's a new man walking around that can change things. It's not a magical pool. It's not a magical list. It's not a magical anything. It's Christ Jesus, the Lord of the universe. And he asked us, just like he asked this man, do you want to be healed? What do you? We all need Christ's healing. God knows I do. Let us not sit in our sin. Jesus came, and this is part of what I taught on this past week uh, in Haiti. Jesus says he came to save us from our sin, not in our sin. What is too great for God? The answer is nothing. He has the power to cancel sin in our life. Just like you've canceled subscriptions, he has the power to cancel that subscription. Now, it's going to rear its head every once in a while, but you just throw it back away. Throw it away. Throw it away. Till it stops coming. He can deliver us. That's the good news of the gospel. There is nothing too great for God. Nothing. And here he is. He asks, do you want to be healed? The guy gives two responses. Quickly, he says... Sir, nobody here to put me in. I don't have anybody. Nobody's on my side. You ever feel like that? I often do. Nobody really knows my circumstance. Nobody really cares to help me out. And then he says, also, even when the water ripples, once I finally get over there, somebody always makes it before me. You ever felt like that? Just seems like everybody else is getting ahead, but not you. Jesus, thankfully, doesn't just say, wow, those are really good excuses. You're right. See you later. (laughs) Instead, 
he does something that's difficult for us to do, and that is ignore the excuses. We all have great excuses, you know. It's kind of like, what do they say? Excuses are like armpits. Everybody's got one. But they're just not worth sharing. None of them are any good. Jesus ignores the man's reply, and he says, and I, I like a different translation, the um, RSV, says, rise. Rise. Notice again, he's lying down, and he says, every time I try to get down into the pool, hear it? Down motif? See, he's looking the wrong place. The pool is not salvation. Down is not the way. But that's all he can see. And we in our life, I in my life, we get, we get trapped in this thing of just kind of working, putting our head down, and we never look up. And up is where our salvation is. In Christ. He's brought heaven down to earth. And here he displays his holiness, righteousness, glory in this man's healing. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Guess what the guy does? He gets up. He wanted to be healed. You say, it's that simple? It's that simple. Who gets in the way is us. I get in the way of God working in my life. I've had to cry out even this week and say, Lord, here's this thing. I've carried with me a long way. I don't want it anymore. Now you say, Did it happen in a moment? It might not. It might take 38 years. But who's ready to sign up to be free? What's freedom really worth? What's the alternative? Just to sit in it? That's not what we're signed up for. The important thing is to keep moving forward. Notice what he said. Walk. Take up your bed. In other words, take up whatever you have. Don't look at what other people have or what you wish you had. What you don't have. Pick up what you do have and let the Lord transform that. I mean, I, I imagine, I imagine, I don't, we don't know this, but I imagine he kept that mat that he was lying on for 38 years. I guarantee he probably hung it up in his, in his room. If you watch the State of the Union, the North Korean who hood up, stood up and held up, just sim- I mean, no words were needed. Freedom. Crutches. Here he was standing. This man got up and walked. And we can walk in the spirit the Bible says. That's a promise. That's a fact, Jack. We don't have to be an invalid spiritually speaking. We can receive the Lord's power and be made valid in Jesus name. Have you ever seen the movie Gattaca, which I haven't, but I know about it. There's the invalids and the valids. Those who have been genetically engineered to be perfect and those who are not, which are the invalids. Well, I've got news for you. None of us were made perfect, no matter what your mother told you. (laughs) Um, We all are invalid until we come to our creator and he can remake us in his image. If he made us, he can remake us. If we scribbled all over the drawing, he can draw it into something beautiful. He really can. He can do it. And he can do it today in a moment. 
Do you want to be healed? What's it going to take? It's going to take everything. Don't leave anything for the swim back. Go all the way. Give him everything you've got. Because he'll take everything you've got and give you more than you ever dreamed of. Make you more than you ever imagined. He may leave you in your physical infirmity. He may never heal that this side of heaven. It will be healed one day. Don't you worry. Those that I saw that were suffering in Haiti, those that you've seen that suffer in Africa and North Korea and other places around the world, they will be physically healed one day. But the greater concern is spiritual healing. Notice what Jesus... Did you, did you see where the man was after he was healed? It just feeds into the sermon I last preached about where would Jesus be. He'd be in the temple, right? Guess where this man was? Jesus bumps into him. Everybody's looking for Jesus because he's withdrawn. Because his job is not to empty out all the hospitals. We can talk about that later. But that was not his job. That's not why he came. And Jesus bumps into him, none other than in the temple, the house of God. And he says, hey, you're well. I see you're doing well. Go and sin no more unless something worse befalls you. What could be worse than lying there for 38 years? The sickness of sin. The disease and cancer of sin. The lie of Satan. Spiritual bondage. Because guess what? You can be free as a bird on the outside, but chained inside. You can have whatever you want in this life and not be happy. Because you're not holy. You can have nothing in this life and be the happiest person in the world. When you don't think you have anybody else that cares, Jesus cares. The church cares. We care. And that's why we exist, is for healing. Not just physical healing, but spiritual healing. <laughs> I love, we don't have time to go into it, but I love the interplay of, who, who is this man that healed you? Well, I don't really know who he is. Well, oh, you are the man. Jesus is the man. Jesus is the name by which we call upon. It's the name that I would ask you now. If you have... If you're carrying something, if you've been paralyzed by something in your life for 38 years, I don't care how long it is, would you bring it to Jesus today? What if today was the moment where He heals you? He can do that. He'll do it only by faith in Him. There's nothing too great for God. Go and sin no more. Forgiveness is greater than physical healing. Sanctification is greater than physical pleasure. He saves us from our sin, not in our sin. Do you want to be healed? Because today is a day where we receive the medicine of salvation.
And we do it by faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.